Wow, thank you, Judy. I love the fact that such a little lady can make such great noises. That's wonderful. We are so happy that you're here with us this morning to celebrate our adoption into the kingdom of God. We want to welcome all of you as brothers and sisters in Christ and all those who are listening on uh, streaming and in other ways. Uh, I didn't realize how significant that was until I was driving up through the mountains of Mansfield last Sunday and was able to hear Wes's sermon while I was driving along. And uh, I think it's okay to drive and listen to a sermon. So uh, at least that's what I was going to tell the police officer. Anyways, (laughs) one of my greatest privileges at RFKC was that I got to oversee what was called the I Spy Awards. Now, the I Spy Awards in Royal Family Kids Camp were awards that were given to people who did extraordinary acts of goodness and kindness. And early on in the week, they were not that plentiful. But as the kids realized that you got to come up and you got to get a big round of applause and you also got to get a gummy worm from the bucket, uh, we started to find a lot more I Spy Awards. And this morning, it's a great privilege of mine to give the very first I Spy Award in the Houghton Wesleyan Church. About three weeks ago, I was preparing backstage a little bit panically, in panic, something like that, for the musical. And around the corner came this incredibly pleasant, wonderful person bearing an entire plate of cookies. And she had no reason to be there other than the fact she was just selflessly wanting to support a bunch of kids in the community. And that young lady was Kazda Danner. And I was so excited because I wanted her to be here this morning. Nate, where is she? She's right there. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I've, I've been scanning the crowd. Kazda, come here. Come here. I wasn't going to have you come up. This is great because now I get to say, as Father Mulcahy said in Mash, I'm often mistaken for being absent. <laughs> listen, listen. I hope that this is the first of many I spies, and there are your gummy worms. Right there. All right. No, truly, what a, what a blessing that was, man. Just to feel that someone cared enough to do something like that. Because uh, I'm, I'm forever indebted to you. That was, that was a beautiful thing. I wish we could all do that more often. Folks, this morning, please stand with me and join with me in the corporate uh, call to worship. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything we might have the supremacy. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, today... We are just so incredibly grateful that 
we worship a big God. Because that gives us the chance to understand that maybe our issues, our problems, our, our fears, they are not too big for you. Thank you for being a God that can handle what we throw at you. And thank you for loving us so much this morning. And we worship you and praise you for that. In your name, amen. this morning. 
So glad that you are here as we gather for worship today and welcome those joining us on the streaming as well. Take a moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. Good morning. I I have to say it's been a privilege. Last week and this week I've made an announcement in each of the services and it feels like summer Sabbath to me because I see people in church that I never ever see because I go to the 820 service and oh yeah, like I forgot, we go to the same church, I go to church with you. Um, It's uh, it's just nice to see uh, more faces and faces that I don't see uh, for a good part of the year. But I'm just here to make a quick announcement. Last week uh, we talked a little bit about the Uh, recommendation that the elders are making to the congregation to offer an extended call to Pastor Wes. Uh, And we are doing that vote this morning and just want to remind you, if you haven't already voted, uh, the tables are down below in the front foyer, just inside the front doors. And so uh, they'll be there after the service. And so on your way out, uh, if you haven't already voted, uh, please be sure to do so. Uh, Thanks so much. It's always a joy to welcome back to our church uh, people who have grown up here. And Wes Brown is one of those people. If you've been around for a while, you will uh, you'll know Wes and remember him uh, as a child and a teenager and his college here as well. And uh, he and his wife Dana have been serving in Kenya. And they are uh, in the process of going back. And he's going to share a little bit with us about their ministry. We're happy to have Wes and Dana here this morning. Thank you. Good morning. I have to say, I'm a little bit intimidated with Jamie Mullen behind me, because at one point in my high school career, he was the coach for every single sport that I played. I had him in soccer, then I had him in basketball, then I had him in tennis. And so, all right, there we go. So if I can make it through that, I can make it through anything. All right, here we go. (laughs) Um, So as you may have gathered from what I just said, uh, I grew up here in Houghton, for those of you that don't know me. Um, My wife, Dana, who is floating around somewhere, she has beautiful curly black hair if you see her. Say hello. Um, We met here at Houghton College. Uh, Houghton is obviously a really special place for the both of us. It is wonderful to be back, and we're so uh, happy to be able to share a little bit about the work that we have been doing in Africa with you. So my wife and I uh, serve with SIM. We've been serving as full-time missionaries for the last six years, serving in Kenya. Um, Kenya is located in East Africa. You can see it here highlighted in the picture. Um, To the south is Tanzania. To the north is Somalia, Ethiopia, and South Sudan. And so, as you may have gathered from some of the countries that I just named, it's in a relatively unstable part of the world, but Kenya itself is a relatively stable country. Uh, We live in the capital city of Nairobi, which is both the capital of Kenya, but also tends to be the economic capital for the whole region. Um, Next slide, please. So my wife, Dana, uh, before we left to, to go to Kenya in 2012, she had completed a PhD here in the U.S. in cognitive science. 
And upon getting to Kenya, she got connected with SIM's education branch and started teaching at a university that was starting the first doctoral program in clinical psychology in not just Kenya, but actually the whole East African region. And this is a big deal because for students that wanted to be able to get a higher level degree in psychology up to that point, they would have had to go to South Africa or Europe or the U.S. to be able to get that kind of degree. And for most Kenyans, that really wasn't an option. But this need is critical. It's critical in Kenya. It's critical everywhere. Next slide, please. According to the WHO, by 2030, depression will be the leading global disease. That's not the leading mental health disease. That is the leading disease, period. In Kenya, they spend, in the earlier services I said, around 2%. It's actually around 1% of their, their medical um, department's budget nationally on mental health. Yet it represents about 25% of the cases of patients that are coming into in institutions. So it's a critical need. And Dana is helping to train Kenyans to be able to go out into their various communities to provide the mental health services that are so sorely needed. She's not a clinical psychologist herself. She's cognitive. So she's actually more focused on the research side of things and working with how the brain works. And so she's actually been able to share her passion for research with a research center that she opened at her school uh, and be able to work with some of the students who, who are likewise interested in that aspect of their education. Next slide, please. My background is in IT. Um, and that's actually what I do in Kenya. So um, I was trained here at Houghton College uh, as a computer scientist, and um, my work after Houghton was in leading software development teams and designing software programs. And now I work on an SIM project called Banda Health, where we are building software to help support Christian hospitals and clinics in the developing world. And these Christian hospitals and clinics are, in many ways, at the forefront of the evangelistic um, opportunities in many parts of the world because for many people they can't or they will never go into a church on their own if they're if they're a Muslim person that that would be a huge roadblock to them being able to hear about about Christ but they will go to a Christian health institution to receive services you know for their for their physical body and while they're there the doctors the nurses the staff members are able to share the love of Christ with them and Every single day, people are starting a journey which leads to them coming to a relationship with Christ. And so we are privileged to be able to support these institutions by creating software and, and helping them to be able to use technology so that they can be more sustainable and be able to spend more time with the patients that they're trying to serve and less time doing paperwork and things like that. Next slide, please. This is just a picture of a representative file room that you would find in, in any Kenyan institution. A big hospital would have many rooms like this. And so, as you can imagine, trying to deal with that is a time-consuming thing. And so we're trying to help eliminate uh, some level of, of this amount of paper. Next, please. Right now, our software is in use in more than 20 sites uh, in more than seven countries around the world. These are some of the, the highlighted ones here. The reason we don't know the specific numbers is because we don't actually keep track, and we give our software away for free. We think that this software is too important to be hidden behind license fees and, and restrictive costs. And so we put it out on the internet, and anybody anywhere in the world can take it and use it. So I get every week I get emails from all over the world of people that we've never heard of who are using the software that we've written, and we're thrilled about that. Next, please. One of the questions we often get at times like this is, how can people get involved? Um, we have a sign-up sheet in the back, as well as some prayer cards that just explain a little bit about what my wife Dana and I are doing. Um, so you can take one of those. You can sign up for our newsletters. Um, 
we, right now we're on a, what's called a home assignment or a furlough. We're trying to get back to Kenya and hoping to be back in the next two months or so. But to do so, we do have some financial support, some monthly support that we need to raise. So we are looking for people who would like to partner with us in that way. And if that's something that you feel like you could do or are interested in, please talk to myself or my wife. Uh, and last, but definitely most important, is we need prayer support. We need people who are, are thinking about um, the work that we are doing in Kenya and, and our lives there and are lifting us up in prayer. Next slide, please. Uh, last, I wanted to say thank you to you as the, the Houghton Church congregation. You have been behind the work that we have been doing for six years, uh, both in prayer and in finances, and we could not be doing what we are doing over there without you. So thank you so much for the encouragement that you are and for the fact, you know, knowing that, that the home church, the church where, where I started to grow in my walk with Christ, is behind the work that we are doing, is so encouraging, and, and it, it helps us to, to, to deal with the days when it's just really difficult to be living in a different country and not really knowing what's going on sometimes. So thank you so much for the opportunity to share with you, but also for the fact that you have been behind us for the last six years. Thank you.
The Old Testament scripture reading this morning is from 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 20. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever, and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in singing the doxology as we invite the ushers to come forward for our tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great privilege of participating in giving to you and improving your kingdom on this earth. Please use our gifts as only you can. In your name, amen.
Jesus, we see the full revelation of the heart and the essence of God. This God who is almighty and all-powerful is a God of mercy and grace. He invites us to come honestly before him. And so let me invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come today with a need to confess our sins to you. We have spoken harshly, not gently. We have broken confidence, even though we were trusted with sensitive information. We have acted arrogantly, despite your call to humility. We have allowed our work to drive us while ignoring the rest that you command. And that we need. We have not honored others above ourselves. We have been selfish with our time, our gifts, and our resources. In your loving mercy, forgive us, and in your wondrous grace, make us more like Christ. Amen. As we continue in a spirit of prayer, there are numerous burdens and concerns that uh, we have, we bring with us. We want to uh, continue praying for the Aldermans and the Woolsey families, and the recent deaths. And we also want to uh, pray for the family of Hudson Hess. Hudson died on Friday night uh, with his family in Virginia. And uh, his funeral service will be this Saturday at 11 o'clock here at the church. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for all of your blessings to us. Thank you for the gift of life, of relationships, of family, the ability to work and to learn and to know you. We come today with our hearts full of gratitude. We also come with burdens. This morning, we pray, Father, for those who are are grieving and are feeling a sense of loss, sorrow. We pray for the Aldermans, the Woolseys. We pray for the Hesses and others who are grieving and pray that your spirit will minister your comforting presence to each one. We pray for those who are struggling with health issues. We especially Pray for John Christensen, Leonard Watson, Florence Tuber, for Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, for Tim Nichols and Bob Brown, Louise Princell and Nancy Cole, for Brian Orbacher and Peter Lingenfelter, for Cheryl O'Brien and Ben King, and Doris Asepian and Isla Shea, for Sheldon Emerson, and for Bill Getty, and Mike Raybuck. For Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, Linda Roth and Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our minds today, and we ask for your healing grace to each of them. Father, we thank you for the ministries of this church and the way in which we are privileged to serve each other. We thank you for the ministries of churches around us. And today we pray for the Short Track United Methodist Church, 
Pastor Gary Wickard. May they, this congregation of believers know your presence and your grace upon them, that they will serve each other and serve their community in your love. We pray, Father, for our nation. We ask that you will give healing to those still recovering from disasters and tragedies and the burdens of life. We pray, Father, for the nations around us, throughout the world, where there are, again, tragedies and disasters. And, and we pray, Father, for, for refugees throughout the world who are looking for safety and the necessities of life, and we pray that you will bring those to them. We pray, Father, for places of war, and we think particularly of Syria today. It's hard for us to fathom the, the circumstances there and the way of life there that is so distant from our lives. We pray that your spirit and your grace and power would bring peace and an end to the warring in which innocent people are often the casualties. Father, we pray for your church around the world. Thank you for the ministry that Wes and Dana have, and we pray your blessing and your anointing upon them as they serve the people of of Kenya and other nations. We pray that they will know your grace and power upon them. And as they prepare to go back, supply all of their needs in your wondrous grace. Father, we think of our brothers and sisters in Indonesia, this country that you love, the people that you love, and people who so many do not know you. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters there as they live and bear witness to you. We ask, Father, that that you will help them to know how to respond to those who oppose them, to people who just simply don't understand who you are. We pray that you will open doors for, for sharing and for living and loving. We pray especially for the children in these places who often face great difficulties in school and in their neighborhood relationships. We pray that you would sustain them and encourage them and speak into their lives in in powerful ways. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your great love poured out to us in Jesus Christ. We offer this prayer in his name, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
The New Testament reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 1, selected verses. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead." Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, all children are dismissed for Children's Church.
Please be seated. When you think about heaven, what comes to your mind? When you get a vision of of eternal life, what does that vision look like? There are a variety of theories about uh, what heaven, what Revelation describes as the new heaven and new earth are going to be like. And I have to tell you that probably over the course of the last 10, 12 years, my mindset about that has changed dramatically. I'm beginning to see, as I read the scriptures, I read people who, who spend a great deal of their life studying the scriptures, that when, when Jesus talks about restoring and returning to cre- recreate the new heaven and the new earth, I think it will be a restoration of this earth in which we live. And it will be, and, and we will have some type of resurrected bodies, perhaps like the resurrected body that Jesus had, and we will, we will do work, and we will learn, and we will have relationships, because all of those things are gifts of God. But whatever your view of eternal life, of new heaven and new earth is, the one thing that we know for certain is that at the very center of that existence, at the very, at the very middle, at the very at the very center point of all of that is that Jesus Christ is the King. And Jesus Christ will reign. Handel said it so well in the Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. As Revelation tells us of his kingdom, there will be no end. He's the king. It's what Paul is describing for us in Philippians chapter 2. We typically focus a lot of attention on verses 6 to 8, and for good reason. He says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and appearing in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we give thanks to God for that. But we also need to see it in the context of the next three verses that say, Therefore, God exalted him. God raised him to the highest place that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. He's the King. And it's the image that John paints for us in Revelation. In chapter 1, he, and, and, in, and in other parts of Revelation, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the King of all. And everything about our eternal existence with God will be centered in Jesus the King. Everything that we do will be because Jesus is the King. 
and what we will do in our eternal existence in heaven, the new heaven, new earth, will be to give our lives, our very essence, in allegiance to Jesus. All of life in eternity will be about allegiance to Jesus, serving him, desiring him. Whatever he wants, we want. Whatever he thinks, we think. Whatever is a priority to him will be a priority to us. The very essence of heaven is that it is the place where God's will is done and God rules as the king. And that will be our existence. And all the things that we may do, it will be keep coming back to an allegiance to Jesus Christ, the king. And Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3. He says, think on the realities of heaven. Set your mind on heavenly things instead of earthly things. And when I hear Paul saying that, I think Paul is saying to us, whatever we're going to do, however we're going to exist in heaven, should be the mindset of our lives on earth. I think sometimes we have this, as we talked last week, we have this disconnectedness between our lives on earth and our lives in heaven. And we say, well, you know, I'll kind of live my life now. And then when I get to that point of eternity, then everything will be focused on Jesus. But quite frankly, that's not what the gospel tells us. That's not what the scriptures say from the beginning to end. What the scriptures keep telling us is what we're going to do then, the mindset we have then, the priorities then, is really the call of our mindset and our priorities now. And I think that really is the best definition of what it means to be a Christian. That we give allegiance to Jesus. We live our lives in allegiance to Jesus. Our whole existence is a desire, a yearning, a want to to give ourselves an allegiance to Jesus. The question in our minds is, what does that look like? What does it mean to live our lives in allegiance to Jesus? It's probably easier for us to imagine that in eternity than it is in in earth. What does that look like? And as I pondered that and thought about that, I think probably... The place that we need to be thinking about allegiance to Jesus in our lives are those things in our lives that block us, that keep us from living in allegiance to Jesus. I mean, that that really is, is what the scriptures are often trying to help us see. They're painting this picture of who God is and the call of people to live for him. And most of the time, what the scriptures are trying to help us understand is what we do about those places where we're not doing what we want to do. Or we're not wanting to do what we should want to do. And as I've thought about that, I think that probably for most of us, that begins with all of the things that we say are mine. Our possessions. Our wealth. Our relationships. Our gifts. Our talents. Everything about our lives that we have a tendency to say, that's mine, 
is the very place where God is saying to us, oh, really? If you're going to live in allegiance to me, we need to talk about that. We so often live our lives with this mindset, and we don't even, I'm not sure we always even realize we're doing it, but we so often live with the mindset of a closed fist about those things. We, we, are, we continually wrestle with this perspective of it's mine and I'm trying to hang on to it and protect it. You think for a moment about all the things that we do to protect what we have. Now, I'm not saying that's completely wrong. I'm just saying there is a mindset about that that is contrary to living in allegiance to Jesus. I think we wrestle with that because we're not really sure that God is who he says he is. We're not really sure that the things of God are more precious and more valuable than the things we hold in our hands. And so we keep closing our fists. And God keeps sending the Holy Spirit and experiences and people to pry open our fingers. To live in allegiance to Jesus is to live open-handed lives. It's to live with a mindset that says, God, everything that I might call mine is really yours. And as hard as the struggle may be, I want it to be yours. I know that's a struggle for us. I'm going to assume that we're not all that different, and I can tell you it's a struggle for me. Many times in my life and regularly, God is saying to me, am I going to have to come down there and pry open your pudgy little fingers? And he's telling, you know, you understand that. It's part of our struggle. It's part of the journey. And what he's calling us to is to want to let go, to want to open our hands. When we start talking about possessions... Of course, you know, as we talked last week, often the first thing that comes to our mind is, okay, how much does God want? What's the rule? The Old Testament says 10%. The Old Testament says you bring a tithe. When It said to the Israelites, when you bring in your crops, I get the first fruits. I get the first 10%. Whatever you earn, whatever you make, whatever you get, that 10% is mine. And then you, people will say, that was good for them, but we're, we're New Testament people. We live in grace. We don't have to worry about that anymore. I could not agree more with that. Because as I read this week, something caught my attention. Someone said, When have you ever known grace to ask less of us? I thought that was an interesting thing to say because I'd not thought about it like that. And the truth of the matter is, when you get to the New Testament, you don't see much, hear much about 10% and a tithe. What you read is generosity. So Paul, and it's not a command. Paul writes to the the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, this is not a command I'm giving you. I'm doing it because I am guessing and supposing and hoping you have enough love in your hearts that you want to do it. And you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. 
so that by his poverty he can make you rich. It's true. The New Testament really isn't all that interested in 10% because when you come to the New Testament, the full expression of what God's intended all along comes to the surface and we understand that God doesn't want 10%. He wants 100%. He wants all of it. And we can trust him with all of it because we know who he is. It's the same way with with the struggle we have of self-interest. Not that those two things are necessarily completely separate. We struggle with self-interest. We spend so much of our lives, and again, I know this because I do it too. We spend so much of our lives trying to, to prove to people we're valuable and we're important and we have worth. That what we say is important, that what we do is important. And we, we spend so much time and energy focused on self-interest. And all the while, the gospel is calling us to self-sacrifice. The gospel is calling us to give ourselves away. Not just what we have, but everything about us. Again, it's what we see in Jesus. The cross is not punishment to Jesus. Jesus doesn't go to the cross kicking and screaming... He doesn't go to the cross even though he doesn't want to. The scriptures are so clear to tell us Jesus willingly gives himself to the cross. Because of his love, he gives himself for us. It's sacrifice. It's who Jesus is. Paul says he sacrifices himself for us. And the scriptures keep telling us that over and over again. When you read Isaiah's prophecy, and he talks about the Messiah as much as anyone else, what is his primary description of the Messiah? The suffering servant. And the call on us is to be servants who willingly, in love, in active love, give ourselves away. In Revelation 5, John says uh, there was a discussion going on that I overheard about a seal that wasn't able to be opened by anyone. And he said, I began to lament because it needed to be opened. And the, the angel who's giving in this tour says to him, don't worry, there's one who can open the seal. The Lion of Judah can answer, open the seal. And John begins to get excited. He can't wait to see the Lion of Judah open the seal. And when he turns, he says, what I saw was not a roaring lion, but a lamb who'd been slain. And that's the image of Jesus the King. And that's the call on us. Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, Paul says. In John 13, Jesus is meeting with his disciples that night of his arrest. And and on this night, he's trying to condense for them all the most vital and important things they need to know to be his disciples. And before he says much of anything, after they've eaten their meal, he takes a towel and a basin of water and he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes their feet. And when he's done, he says to them, do you know what I've just done for you? I don't think they do. I don't think they have a clue. 
what he's done for them. In fact, I think they're appalled at what he's done for them. That's why Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. That's not right. Don't, Don't wash my feet. And I think they're appalled, and I think Peter responds that way because rabbis don't wash people's feet. That's what servants do. That's what slaves do, not rabbis. And they're thinking about Jesus. And people who can heal the sick and give sight to the blind, they don't, they don't wash people's feet. People who can raise the dead, they don't act like servants. People who can preach like Jesus and draw the kinds of crowds that Jesus does, they don't, they don't wash people's feet. They don't act like servants. They have servants to do that kind of thing. That's what it means to have arrived, that you don't have to do that anymore. You have people who do those kinds of things for you. But Jesus says to his disciples, now that I've washed your feet, you wash each other's feet. Because that is a significant part of being my disciple, of giving allegiance to me. See, here's the thing that I think we sometimes miss, is that we think that our relationship of allegiance to Jesus is only between us and Jesus. But the scriptures keep telling us that you know you are living in allegiance to Jesus. You know that your mindset is in allegiance to Jesus, however imperfect we may do it. You know you're on that, in, on that thought process, and, you're, and that's your desire, by how you treat people. John writes in his first letter, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother or sister, you have to really evaluate whether you love God. We might paraphrase that to say, if you say you're living your life with the desire of allegiance to Jesus, and yet you keep treating each other like dirt, you have to wonder if you really are committed and desiring to live in allegiance to Jesus. I know that that sounds like the opposite of freedom. Allegiance sounds like the opposite of freedom, but it's not. It's not the opposite of freedom. Actually, allegiance to Jesus is the fullest expression of freedom. In John 8, Jesus is having a discussion with the religious leaders, and he finally comes to the place describing himself. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When we begin to know Jesus, when we begin to understand who Jesus is, and we begin to open our hearts to Jesus, and our desire is to live in allegiance to Jesus, it's not bondage, it's freedom. It's not freedom to live our lives with our arms around everything we have, trying to hold it and protect it and hoard it, And worry every day about someone taking it or us losing it. That's not freedom. That's bondage. It's not freedom. It's bondage. When we live our lives only only thinking about self-interest. Doing everything we can to prove to people how valuable and important we are. And to try to make ourselves look good. We wear ourselves out doing that. That's not freedom, that's bondage. It's freedom to let it go and to just love and to serve and to give 
and to live our lives in allegiance to Jesus with open hands about our relationships and about everything a part of us. That's what freedom really is. A few weeks ago, I I was listening to a sermon by a highly respected leader in the evangelical church. It was probably about 20 years ago that the sermon was preached, and, and this person was probably in their 80s at that point, I would guess. And uh, they said, you know, there's advantages for getting old. You have a perspective about life that you, know, you don't have, you just can't have when you're young. And he said, you know, I, I've lived most of my life uh, in the 20th century. And I've lived most of my life connected to and involved in the evangelical church in the 20th century. He said, you know, sometimes there's a phrase that can summarize a whole movement. Just one phrase can really just kind of put in a nutshell the essence of a whole movement. And he said, if I had to choose a phrase that summarized the evangelical church in the 20th century, he said, I I think it would be these two words, receive Christ. Receive Christ. And he said, we, we talk about that, we preach that, we've spread that message far and wide that, that the church is here and the purpose of the church, of the evangelical church, is to convince people to receive Christ. And he said, I think people need to receive Christ. It is important for people to receive Christ. It's valuable. It's vital. But he said, there's something in the back of my mind that sees just a little bit of heresy in those two words if they're not understood in the right context. Because he said, to receive Christ is often something we view as a conclusion. We're trying to get people, we bring people a long ways and trying to get them to the point where they receive Christ and it's sort of like, okay, now you can take a deep breath, you've done it. He says, important as that is, he said, one day it struck me that when you read the Gospels, Jesus never says, receive me. But instead he looks at Andrew and James and John and says to them, Follow me. Follow me. And he said the difference between those two phrases is significant. One of them we tend to see as a conclusion. The other, a life. And I think the call of the gospel of living in allegiance to Jesus the King is a life of following Jesus. He leads us, we follow. He speaks to us, we listen. He calls us, we answer. And I think that might well be the clearest definition what it means to be a Christian.
what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To follow him in allegiance. So the question for each of us is, what is it that's keeping us, blocking us from taking one more step of allegiance to Jesus? One more step of following Jesus and finding in that that it's not bondage, it's freedom. It's not death, it's life. It's what we were created to be in the grace of God. Holy Father, thank you for thank you for Jesus. Thank you for call of the gospel to transform us and to make us new. Thank you for the promise of eternity you've given us. Father, give us grace to see what you see and to be who you've called us to be as followers of Jesus who desire to live in allegiance to him who is the king. Set us free the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.